We are at the end of another one of our little series in this um, long deep dive we're taking into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his most famous teaching. It's in the Sermon on the Mount that maybe better than any other place, he clarifies his vision for a renewed humanity. What has he come to do so that we can live in his kingdom right here and right now? He calls it the kingdom of God or sometimes the kingdom of heaven. But what he's simply describing is, as Jeremiah talked about a couple of weeks ago, this reality that we're all invited to be part of. It's the reality he always dreamed for us. But Leslie mentioned last week, we've frequently lost the script. And so he's helping us get it back and describing what that might look like. For the last three weeks, we've been in just four verses of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to land in those verses again today before we move on. In these four verses, just before he begins to set up some pretty challenging subjects we'll start tackling next week, he reminds us about the beauty and power of the Hebrew Scriptures, how he sees the Hebrew Scriptures, how he sees himself in the Hebrew Scriptures. He connects Israel's story to his story, and now we're connecting it to our story, and all of that sort of happening here in these four verses. And so far, here's what we've learned about the Scripture story. Love is the point of the story. Amen? Love is the point of the story. Love's not just who God is. It's what he's been doing. It's what he'll always be doing. And Jesus says here, love is how he fulfills the law and the prophets. Jesus is the center of the story. Jesus is what God's love looks like and what it sounds like, and he's the lens through which we read all the rest of the story. And last week, Leslie reminded us that when we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, it helps us find our place in the story. We can embrace that place in the story again and again and again. We can pray that prayer again. If you surrendered, so will I. I'll gladly surrender to you. That's how we enter the story. Now, um, last week we gave you a resource, Um, we practiced a little bit at the end of the message, a way of engaging scripture that's maybe just different uh, from other ways that you've engaged it, and there's many ways to engage it, but this one is a super helpful way to do so called Lexio Divina. If you missed that resource, the printed copies are available on site near the doors, but it's all on the app. Go there. It might be a great way for you to get into the scripture story in a little more, uh, maybe a little more regularity or in a fresh way if you've needed some fresh way to engage scripture. Uh, especially during the season of Lent as we get ready for Easter. It's a good way for you uh, to engage the story. I want to do this before we sing some more songs together. I want to read these words from Jesus that we've been looking at one more time before we move on next week to the next thing he says. And so I just want you to sit back and listen. If you've been here over the last four weeks, you've heard them. If you haven't, then you get the chance to hear them today. And then I'll come back in a little bit and we'll talk about them a little bit. Jesus says, don't even begin to think that I've come to do away with the law and the prophets, the Hebrew scripture. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
You'll never experience this reality that I'm describing to you, he says. You may have noticed a shift in uh, something we do with the messages over the past year, maybe two years or so, um, because we have this fundamental belief that this thing that we often call in the church preaching is actually a proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. We're just trying to continue in our day what Jesus kicked off in his day. And uh, because of that, we've begun to ground each one of our messages in, in proclaiming the good news. And that's because the whole scripture story tells the most glorious good news the world has ever heard. Amen? If we associate the Bible with bad news or scary news or shaming news, we must learn to read it the way God inspired it to be read. What appears to be inconsistent with the character of God is there to reveal the love of God. Even what looks like bad news is good news in disguise. <laughs> and that, by the way, is me giving away the good news I get to proclaim today. So you're going to hear that four or five times over the course of the message, which is what we've been trying to do so that this good news just has a better chance of lodging itself in our hearts and so that it's incredibly clear when we gather like this and when we leave and go into the rest of our week, this is the good news that Jesus is inviting his people into. But if we are going to deal honestly with the Scripture story, we have to admit, some of it does not sound like Jesus. Some of it doesn't look like love. Some of it is not a story I'm all that excited to embrace or to engage with. What do we do with that? Because some of what you read in Scripture is just weird, isn't it? Stuff like don't plant two kinds of seed in the same field at the same time. Some of you are getting ready to violate that right now. <laughs> Spring is coming, and you're like, I got my two kinds of seed lined up. Don't wear two kinds of fabric on your body at the same time. I dare say everybody in here is violating that one in this moment. <laughs> Don't trim the hair on your head or on your face. Yeah, that would be easier, wouldn't it? I was trimming mine this morning. I told Brenda, so much hair. Nobody told me there would be so much hair the older you get. <laughs> Did you know that all bodily discharges make you unclean for seven days? Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't think you were supposed to say that, but anyway. <laughs> Does God really care about that stuff, seriously? What are we going to do with that? Some of it's weird. Some of it's cruel. Capital punishment for your rebellious children. For homosexuals, if you get married and find out your bride was not a virgin when you married her, you have permission to stone her to death. A priest who enters the sanctuary with messy hair or torn clothes or after drinking any alcohol should get stoned. Not in a fun way. <laughs> I knew you were thinking it. <laughs> And even more cruelly, that thing about a bride who's not a virgin on her wedding day, there's not a thing said to husbands who are not virgins on their wedding day. What is up with that? Stuff is just cruel. Some of it's disturbing. 
Women are treated as property with no rights of their own. Slavery is allowed. Sometimes God himself is described in very violent ways. He appears to order full-scale genocide, destroy every man, woman, child, and beast. By the way, that's the cure for people who are sacrificing their children to idols, is just one-up them and kill them all. <laughs> Seriously? God, the, the, the solution is worse than the problem. That's all you got. How do we reconcile the weird, disturbing, cruel stuff in Scripture with the God that we've said is revealed in Jesus, who's authoring a cosmic love story that we're all invited to participate in? I got to tell you, that question, when I began reading the Bible for myself as a teenager, that question messed with me then. It messed with me for decades, in fact. And here's why I had to wrestle with it is because I do believe that love is the point of the story. And I do believe that Jesus is the center of the story. And I do believe that finding my place in this story is the most meaningful way for me to live my one and only life. And even with all of those questions in my mind, I've given myself to that for decades because I deeply believe it. But I still wrestle with it. And some of you do. Because I have had the privilege of hearing your questions for three decades now. I've gotten to ride shotgun with many people in our Meadow Heights family who are trying to reconcile this weird, cruel, disturbing stuff as well. Because you encountered God in Jesus, as we just sang about, and you know and believe deeply that that's true and real, but you don't know what to do about this other stuff. And I got to say, um, I love being part of a church where we can deal with this stuff honestly and openly, where you don't have to deny it, you don't have to hide from it, you don't have to pretend like it's not happening. Because here's the thing. If I can't look the other way, why would I expect you to? And I don't think God expects us to. I don't think he expects that every time you pick up your Bible, you're supposed to turn your brain off. Because I believe the whole scripture story is the most glorious good news that the world has ever heard. And if we associate the Bible with scary news, with shaming news, with bad news, we simply have to learn to read it the way God inspired it to be read. Because what appears to be inconsistent with the character of God actually reveals the love of God. That even what looks like bad news is good news in disguise. So, now that I have everybody's interest in here, I only have a few minutes to tackle a really tough and tricky subject, and let me just admit off the top, there is no way I can give this kind of a subject that people have wrestled with for centuries uh, the kind of uh, treatment that it probably deserves in about the next 20 minutes or so. Here's what I do hope can happen. I do hope I can give you a few thoughts that have been very helpful to me over the past couple of decades that I hope will be helpful to you as well. That as you head out of here and you learn to treasure this scripture story we've been given, that some of this will help with the questions that you have. And huge props to uh, Greg Boyd, who's a pastor and theologian whose work, among many others, has helped me tremendously. But I thought if there were one resource I could recommend to you today, for those of you who like to dig a little deeper sometimes into the stuff we talk about on Sundays, it would be his book called Cross Vision. So uh, he goes into much more detail and so many more examples of what I can possibly do, but highly recommended resource for you if this is the kind of thing about your faith that you'd like to dig into a little bit more. All right, take a picture of that or write it down real quickly and, and get that uh, on your radar this week. So some thoughts that I hope will help. First, 
I think it helps for us to realize that the scripture story is an unfolding story. The good news that the Bible reveals is progressing as it unfolds over century after century after century. It's passing through dozens of human authors who are used by God to give us the story. And, and it takes place over this long time, multiple cultures or iterations of those ancient Near East cultures. This is a pretty amazing miracle that we have this collection of ancient literature at all. Amen? That's amazing. And it, it revealed itself over a long period of time. It's, it's easy to forget it because we've always had access to like leather-bound gold-leafed versions with our name on the front, you know? But it did not get dropped down out of the sky looking like this. It came to humanity gradually. And uh, the Bible even supports this idea in numerous places, but I love this particular quote from Isaiah 28. Who does the Lord think we are? <laughs> Isn't that a great way to start? Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? He tells us everything over and over, one light at a time, one light at a time, a little here, a little there. See, God shares his story in ways we can understand, given our stage of development. And by the way, that's not just you and not just me, that's all of humanity. As humanity has had different stages of development, God has revealed his story to humanity over time. And sometimes all we can handle is a little here or a little there or one line at a time, or sometimes he has to repeat it over and over and over, amen? That's why we sometimes say around here, we're just the chief reminders, that's about all we can do up here is just remind us of a lot of the stuff we have already heard, we already know, but we just don't practice very much. Listen, friends, God meets us in that same way. Uh, there's another place some of you are familiar with where scripture is compared uh, to meat for some and milk for others. So it has a lot to do with where somebody is able to receive, what it is that they need and they're ready to receive at any given time. But this is an unfolding story. And as we've already seen in this series, it's always leading somewhere. It's always leading to the cross. Amen? It's always leading to Jesus, who is the center of the story. Even when it looks like it's taking all kinds of meandering turns that are never going to get there, this is where it's always headed. So it might be a good time for me to throw out the idea that if you missed any of the last three weeks where we've been talking about Scripture, they're so foundational to understanding what I have to say today. Seriously, go catch up. This will be a good reminder to find it out there on any of our platforms and catch up on the conversation. Just for today, keep this in mind. We get to witness the Scripture story as it unfolds. We have this historical unfolding available to us. And very closely related to that, integrated with that thought really is this one, that God patiently meets us in our story in order to tell his story. God patiently meets you in your story and me in mine. And he meets humanity in our story to tell his story. He always meets us where we are. If he's gonna get us where we long to be, where he's always dreamed we could be, he has to start with where we are and he eventually goes so far that he becomes one of us. So he can enter full solidarity with our humanity, with our sin, so he can share his life and love with us. Listen to me, if God is love, and if love is the point of everything, catch this, he has to accept people as we are. Love, by definition, is non-coercive. 
If you have to force your love on somebody, it's not love. Love has to be freely chosen. Amen? And if God is love, then he has, no, he has no other way to be. He's not deciding to be loving. He is love itself. And he is just love in every possible way. You know what that means? He won't force people to have only true thoughts about him. Thank God. Amen? Because all of us in this room have probably believed lies about God at some time or another. He will not undermine our personhood. God is apparently content to go at our pace, which is kind of mind-blowing. How patient he must be so that his love can be revealed and it can be understood over time, not overnight. You know what that means? That means he's got to be willing to be misunderstood. He's got to be willing to be misrepresented along the way. Because the only way to keep a relationship with us is to meet us where we are. And the only chance he'll have to eventually reveal his love fully to us in Jesus is if the relationship is intact. Every parent in this room knows how this works. So often you have to let your kids misunderstand you. Amen? Misrepresent you to their friends, to their friends' parents, to their teachers, to their coaches. You know your kids are not always telling the whole truth about who you are or why you're doing something, etc. right? They don't even always get it, and you know that in their little minds. Sometimes they get it and they just don't like it, but sometimes they genuinely don't get it. They do not even know how much you love them. They don't even know how hard you're working to protect them and provide for them. But if you want to ever influence them where you hope they'll end up, you have to stay in relationship with them. Amen? Which means you put up with a lot as a parent. <laughs> from your kids sometimes to keep the relationship. Maybe I can eventually, they'll see my love, they'll get it. Maybe when they have kids of their own at least, they'll go, oh boy, I didn't know all that was going on. That's our hope, right? And God is a good father. And that's how he parents his children as well. And for some crazy, miraculous, beautiful reason, he's chosen to reveal his story through human beings. Humans get to tell his story. Real people at real points in history who lived in real cultures, who of course then reflect some of the cultural conditioning that they lived in and the way they tell the story. And God lets them tell that story. He lets them sometimes misunderstand or misrepresent him. And he still always gets the story where it's eventually going. Is that not miraculous? That makes this book so much more miraculous and beautiful to me, to know that God could do it in that way. I'll give you just two or three quick examples. Again, the book Cross Vision digs into all of this much more deeply for you. When people want a king, you remember God's people want a king in 1 Samuel 8? God lets them choose a king. You remember what he said? That's not the best idea. But then he's like, okay, we're going to go with it. You ever done that with your parents? Oh, with your kids? <laughs> or your parents. <laughs> you ever done that with your kids? <laughs> Eventually, you grow up and have to do that with your parents. <laughs> That's like, not the best idea. We're going to go with it. <laughs> and they got a king, and it was a flawed system, just like God told them it was going to be. And they were all flawed kings, and they had to figure out how to live with it, and God had to figure out how to work with it, and he did. Is that not amazing? He accommodates his people's treatment of women as property and their ownership of slaves. Now, if we want to really double-click on that, he pushes the Hebrews way further than most of their ancient Near East peoples did on both those fronts toward where he eventually wanted it to land. But in Scripture, you read this culture that they lived in, the ancient Near East culture, shows up in those ways even among God's people. In the ancient Near East, 
Those peoples were accustomed to crediting their gods for violence and vengeance on their enemies. And sometimes God allows his people to praise him for violence in the same way that their neighbors were praising their gods for violence. And he just lets it happen. Because God meets his people where they are and he keeps loving them. Even when they underestimate that love, when they misunderstand his ways, he does not coerce them to believe the truth about him. If they're not ready to accept it, he doesn't coerce humanity to do that. He's content for some reason to let his story play out over time. This is good news I proclaim to you. You can have confidence that the whole scripture story is the most glorious good news that the world has ever heard. If we associate the Bible with bad news, scary news, or shaming news, we have to learn to read it in the way God inspired it to be read. What appears in there to be inconsistent with the character of God is there to reveal the love of God. Even what looks like bad news on the surface is actually good news when you dig beneath the surface. God always loves his people by meeting them where they are. He's content to let the story play out over time so that he can stay in relationship and get us all eventually where he wants us to be to the point, don't miss this, to the point that God humbly chooses an ugly cross to reveal beautiful love. Friends, I know many of us have grown up in church or we've grown up around church and we know this story and we just sang some beautiful songs about it again this morning. But just listen to this again, almost like it's the first time. This is an amazing thing that in Jesus, God bears the sin of the world. He even takes on the appearance of that sin and reflects that sin. His body is there beaten and broken and bruised and bloody. And the cross, (laughs) 2,100 years ago, people saw an instrument of torture They saw a symbol of state execution. That's what's happening here. It's an ugly statement about humanity that a cross would ever be needed for anyone. And God steps in and takes on that ugly cross so that us, 2,100 years later, by faith can believe this is the most beautiful expression of love we've ever seen. Amen? We look at the cross and we say, oh, it's beautiful. It's precious. I think I'll wear it around my neck. I think I'll put one on the wall in my living room. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful symbol ever is this symbol of God's love. But it's an ugly thing on the surface. You have to see the beauty by faith when you look beneath the surface. God would close all the distance between his love and our story by using an ugly cross to get that job done so that finally we could see him for who he really is. Turns out, God's just like Jesus. He's exactly like Jesus, and he's always been like Jesus, and humanity hasn't always known that, but now we do. That, friends, is such good news, that when you trust a God who looks like Jesus and say, I surrender, that's a beautiful thing to do. Trust this broken man hanging on a cross with your one and only life. But to do that, you have to also accept, oh, if that's what God is like, there's a whole lot of other stuff happening in these 66 books of literature that I'm going to have to accept by faith, and I'm going to have to learn to read it, as uh, Boyd says, with bifocals. 
that when I open scripture through one set of lenses, there's, there's the love of God clearly described on the page. It's like there's God's love or there's Jesus. It's right there. God's love breaking into reality by the power of his spirit. There it is. It's so clear. And then through those other lenses, I have to be able to read all of the indirect ways where God looks so unlike Jesus, but something else must be going on. Somehow that thing that looks so much unlike Jesus is a way that God is bearing our sin so that eventually he gets the chance to reveal himself fully to all of us. You might think of it like this. When God appears ugly on the surface, that reveals the people he has to work with. (laughs) Not God himself, amen? Sometimes when you as a parent are misunderstood by the other parents at the ballpark, or by the teachers at the school. Sometimes that's more a reflection of the kids you have to work with and not you, right? Like, oh, if I had it my way, they wouldn't be doing that at all. But right now, that's where they're at, and I gotta work with it, and that's, that's who I got to work with, right? Amen? And sometimes our good father has to do the same. <laughs> when we read the story with the bifocals on, and remember, Jesus is always the lenses through which we see the whole thing, it begins to clear up a little bit, that love is always the point of the story. Even in ways I don't fully understand it yet. The whole scripture story from beginning to end. The parts that are easy to see Jesus and the parts that are not. All of it is the most glorious good news, my friend, that you have ever heard. And if you somewhere have learned to associate the Bible with bad news and scary news and shaming news, then you simply have to learn to read it the way God inspired it to be read. Because this, my friends, is a love story. And even where it doesn't appear to represent the character of God revealed in Jesus, somewhere it's there to represent the love of God. That even the things that look like bad news, they're good news. They're part of the good news story. They just may be in disguise for a little while. And we may have to dig a little bit to understand it. Now, I told you I could only give you a few thoughts, so that's all you get. (laughs) And I admit, this is a very high-level flyby over a very challenging theological subject. But here's what we wanted to do for us today. I hope you'll leave here, if nothing else, thinking to yourself, oh, I don't have to pretend that stuff's not in there. I don't have to be afraid of those passages that I don't understand yet. I don't have to repress them or deny it. There might be possibilities for ways to reconcile all that tough stuff that's weird and cruel and disturbing with the love story that I deeply believe it is. Maybe there are ways to bring that all together. And I can be honest and I can be curious. And if you can do that, friend, that's a win for today, you know? Because sometimes if you just know that other people of faith and goodwill are wrestling with the same things that you are and you feel free to join them, that changes everything. I'm going to tell you, that has revolutionized my life over the last few years. And I'm at a point now in my life and my faith where I'm more comfortable with the mystery that remains because I can surrender more to the mystery, I mean, to the mystery, the, to the mystery that's revealed. So the mystery that remains, the stuff I can't still quite get my head around, I'm able to see enough possibilities in the part that's revealed that I let faith cover that gap. And by the way, 
when you start with love as the point and Jesus as the center, and when you accept the scripture is sometimes messy and inconvenient, and it's human accounts of God's story that he lets them tell, it makes it easier to surrender to a God who eventually shows himself like this. <laughs> and you know, sometimes we let our own doubts and questions keep us from sharing that story of good news with other people. And I found so much freedom in knowing that whatever the parts are that I don't quite get yet, there are at least possibilities for how that also shows the love of God. And it's okay to be curious. And I have enough confidence in the story and in the storyteller that I gladly invite other people into the story as well. And that, friends, is a game changer too. Now, here's the don't hear what I'm not saying part. My faith is not complete. It's gonna happen someday but then it's gonna be sight, amen? <laughs> In the meantime, I'm left with faith. <laughs> faith is there to bridge the gap where the sight has not yet fully arrived. But I will assure you of this, my faith is solid and my faith is secure, and I sure do have a whole lot of peace about that. And that's the thing we want for all of our Meadow Heights family as well. And so let me turn the conversation to you. How about you when it comes to this stuff? You only, you only embrace the story by faith, friends. There are lots of facts that support it. They're wonderful to learn. There are lots of perspectives, like the one I've shared today. It's not the only way to reconcile those things. It's one helpful way. You may don't have to agree with it. You may not agree with it, but it's been super helpful to me, and we thought it might be helpful to you. You can get facts, and you can get perspective, but none of that will ever close the gap entirely that you have to navigate by faith. Eventually, you have to ask yourself, as we sang earlier, will I surrender to the God revealed in Jesus by faith? Will I trust that a God who looks like this is trustworthy and good? And a God who would accommodate people and be patient with us and meet us where we are so that he can gradually get us where we most long to be? I can follow a God like that. Are you willing to surrender to this God? Who loves you this much? That's the question today. It's the question every day of your life. And if you are, <laughs> we thought we would do this thing that Christians have done now for thousands of years that we call communion. It's one of the ways that together and very tangibly, we proclaim our trust in God's love. We say there is a God who looks like this whose bruised, broken, bloody, beaten body is the most beautiful expression of love we've ever seen, and we surrender to that love. And when we come in communion and we take the bread, we say, this is his body broken for us. When we take the cup, we say, this is his blood, which is shed for us. Or you might think of it like this, we're literally taking his story into our story, his life for our life. That's what's happening in the surrender. And you know what else is cool about this? Um, not that you can't do this by yourself, I guess, at home in the kitchen, but that's not how Christians normally do this. We almost always get together for communion, amen? Because there's something important about remembering that this is my story, but it's not private. It's personal. It's not private. There's a big difference. This is our story. We're the church. We are the body of Christ. We, together, are following the God revealed in Jesus. 
And even in times of change and transition, like we're going through now, we remember that whatever else happens, this is the story that makes us family, and this is the story that holds us together. Amen? And so I'm going to pray in a moment, and um, our team's going to come and uncover the bread and the juice today. And after I pray, I know it's a little crowded in here, but that's okay. We'll just take our time. Everyone's welcome to participate. And when you're ready, just come up and take the bread and the juice, and then take it back to your seat. And in the spirit of this service today, why don't you just consider surrender? At some point, just say, do I gladly surrender to Jesus, my king? Maybe your first time to surrender. It just may be the next time you surrender. But consider that, and when you're ready, eat the bread and drink the juice, and I'll come back and close us with a few final remarks. Would you pray with me? And then you come. Father, <laughs> thank you. Thank you that you're good, you're always good, you're love and only love. Thank you, Father, that you are so patient with us. So many times this week, God, I've required your patience and I'm grateful. Thank you, Father, that you're patient with the entire human family, that you've been patiently, slowly working with what you have to work with, staying in relationships so you can reveal your love fully to us in Jesus on an ugly cross. Thank you, Father, that many of us in this room can see the beauty of that cross by faith today. Lord, I pray that maybe somebody would see the beauty of it by faith for the first time in these moments of surrender. Thank you for a broken body and for shed blood that reminds us how deeply we're loved and how far you will go to meet us where we are. May you bless the bread and the juice. And may your story become our story, your life become our life in a little greater way today. In Jesus' name.